And so it's a bigger, broader impact, right? We're, we're feeding these people, we're housing these people, we're giving them their, the, the way to take care of their families. What does it take to scale a massive real estate business? Chris Linger, alongside his wife, has been investing in real estate since 2006. In the early stages of his real estate journey, he was able to achieve some impressive feats, like a $4.5 million personal portfolio. But it wasn't until he tapped into the power of scale that he was able to reach the nearly $300 million portfolio he has today. So what factors helped him scale to this level? That's what we're talking about today. I was active duty military and purchased a home in a location. And then a couple of years later, the military said, nope, you got to go. You're going to another place. So one of those moves happened to be in 2007, late 2007. Couldn't sell the place. He said, all right, I'm going to rent this thing out. I, I kind of got hooked on the landlord thing. I was like, all right, this works. When I made that move, I ran into somebody who said, hey, if you've got 10 properties that you own by the time you retire, your military retirement plus those homes will give you a reasonable living that you wouldn't have to work. And so that set off a light bulb of interest, had the money coming in for essentially mailbox money. But then in 2017, I met my wife and she opened up a whole new world to me when we started talking about syndications and purposefully investing rather than properties that I would live in and house hack essentially while I lived there. We did the purposeful investing and started buying quadplexes and duplexes. And we even got an eightplex at one point. We were up to 35 doors. So that's wow. kind of where my mindset shifted. And we knew when we hit that 35 door mark, we were kind of tapped out for a little while with our funds, but also on what we could handle because we were self-managing. But in like 2018, we started looking at a property that was $2 million and we didn't have 500K to put down. We were like, how are we going to buy this? He's like, well, we could syndicate it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Do you? No. So we moved on past that one. We said, all right, we'll stick with what we know and what we can do on our own. But we started that education side of things. So for a little while, we were educating ourselves. But being both of us were military, she's a reservist, I was active duty. And we didn't want to be in charge of other people's money with the potential to deploy and not have internet access, not be able to manage the property yeah. like good. So we made that commitment that as soon as I retired or she got out, we would make that conversion. And so literally the same month that I retired, we joined a syndication group to learn that process even better. And we basically learned from finding the deal, right, underwriting it all the way to the closing table. And then because of our background, we were comfortable with the asset management side. Even within like the single family space where you started, you guys were able to scale rather quickly. And yeah. you talk about how you eventually transitioned into the larger multifamily syndication side of things. And just for context, you guys, I know last time I checked, have reached a $290 million portfolio of real estate. What is the power of scale for you? And why is it so important to really think about scale in real estate? particularly in the multifamily space? For us, it's about impact. Not just impact ourselves, not just impacting our family, but we get to impact bigger communities. I told you we made it to 35 apartments ourselves. That's only 35 families we could, we could touch. That's only one property manager had we hired a property manager. It's only three or four vendors, maybe, to do some of the, the maintenance work and things like that, turnovers, whatever. We did nine syndications in 13 months and for the total of 1,900 apartments that were have assets under management, and I would say we probably have close to 50 staff members. We're affecting 1,900 families. We've got multiple vendors, and so it's a bigger, broader impact, right? We're we're feeding these people, we're housing these people, we're giving them their the the way to take care of their families. And then on top of that, we've also been able to give back charity wise. We've been on three mission trips to deliver wheelchairs to under, wow. underserved areas. We're able to go do these things because we now have that freedom of location. 
We don't have to be where the portfolio is. Absolutely. If you empower one investor, they'll go out and have their own impact in their own network and community, really creating this ripple effect, which is really awesome to think about. Let's break this down. I want to dissect the factors that went into your ability to scale at the rate and level that you've reached. For number one, I would think the foundational step and factor is your mindset. And what were some practical ways that you were able to contribute? What I like to call it is the real estate between your two ears. What were some <laughs> practical steps that you took and some practical ways that you were able to develop that most important real estate before you went out and externalized that by finding all of these properties that have contributed to your massive portfolio? One of the biggest things to contribute to our mindset shift was getting in the right community, finding a community of people who are like-minded that not necessarily yes men, like a lot of people would think, of, oh yeah, you just have somebody who's telling you, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. But it's more than that. Like we help develop ideas. We help develop business plans together. For us, we got to those 35 doors. Right at the end is where we found our first mastermind. And it opened our minds up to so much more. There's so many more things going on. The fact that we had roughly 16 years of real estate experience previously when we joined that mastermind, we didn't really think much of what we had. But then when we get talking to other people, we help develop them and we're knowledge sharing. And, and so that was huge for us in opening our mindset as to what we actually were capable of in this space. But then we found paid mentorship for the syndication side of things to learn that process. And that, again, opened up our minds to what was available. Because I told you, 2018, we looked at a $2 million deal. Well, the first two deals we closed were worth $23 million, $26 million. I'll say that th that mentor gave us the process. And our third mentor actually gave us that mindset that we could expand and get something bigger. We were actually looking at three to $6 million deals because again, it was something we felt like we were pretty comfortable we could take down with a small group and just be able to kind of handle it ourselves. And the third mentor taught us that, that mind expansion of just bring on a bigger team. There's more people available. Why not help more people? And, and it was a complete mindset shift for us. Biggest catalysts for progress and growth have been when we invested in mentorship groups, networking events, conferences, being around other people that are thinking in this way. It's so important. And for me, also education was a big thing because in order to develop that mindset and you can choose to be an active investor, a passive investor, single family, which you guys at one point, I'm sure had to make that fork in the road decision where you chose between the single family and the multifamily. And so I think education is such a key role in, in being able to make these wise, savvy decisions that will obviously get you to a very different place and yeah. help you determine which tree you want to ultimately climb up. We've heard stories recently where this guy was in a relationship with someone, his fiance, so he's going to marry her, but he realized that he they didn't share long, the same long-term vision for their lives and he wanted to pursue real estate and invest and she didn't share that, that value of wanting to build that lifelong wealth. The point that I want you to expand on, which is the importance of not only surrounding yourself with the right team members, particularly your wife and having like a partner in life, but also in business who shares those values and goals. Your partner doesn't have to be fully vested in your, in your business. They don't have to be working in your business with you. They just need to be fully supportive of you and trust that you are on a path that a, you want that's in the couple's best interest and that they trust you. Like if they can just let you know that they trust you with the decisions you're going to make, you know, that can be impactful all on its own without having to be involved per se, but they need to be able to provide that level of support. Like I said, you know, as we got on, we're watching our grandchild this week and we're trading off. She's watching the baby right now, you know, so that I could be here to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. And one of the most impactful books to help us identify stuff was rocket fuel. 
And that book talks about a visionary and an integrator. And you can have a mix. You can use any which, which two ways you want. But when you get the right two people together, they take off like rocket fuel. And that book completely resonated with us because she is completely the visionary. I'm the integrator. In that setting of real estate, we work very well together. I mean, it works out that we're husband and wife too. Obviously, it works in another setting. It's blending those two people together. Or if you need a third person, another partner to help fill fill the void a little bit. My thought in that book, the one thing that was missing was if you and your partner are both visionaries, it says you can move. You're going to move forward, but things are going to fall apart because they're behind you. Well, there's nothing wrong with having two visionaries and you bring on a partner who's an integrator so that they can pick up all that stuff. And and so you build your team around what you need. And that's the same thing we do with our general partnerships. We build them around what we need. So if we were looking at a small deal that we can cover the loan ourselves, we can cover the liquidity ourselves, we don't need any partners. We can do it ourselves. But if we're looking at a bigger deal and we need help with the loan information or we need help with asset managing or investor relations, things like that, then we'll bring in other people to fill those voids. And that's that's really what we look for with teammates is it, we're not looking for somebody to complement the skills we already have, but to fill in the voids and, and be a complementary in that to fill the to fill out the team. Just to recap, I would say that the first factor is you know, arguably the most important, but it's the mindset. But then immediately after that, it's the team and the partners and the environment you're in, the people you're surrounding yourself with, not just for the mindset reasons, but also, like you said, the, the skills you can leverage. If it's complementary, then you guys can go farther together. For the factor number three that uh, kind of made sense to me was systems. If you're scaling at that massive level that you're at, $290 million portfolio, I would love to know like, what is one massive or critical system that has had the biggest impact in your ability to scale and not just grow at that rate? Because I know a lot of people who maybe have gotten a lot of deals and have scaled, but haven't necessarily built the most sustainable. Like They're not really able to sustain that growth and do it well. So what has been a factor or what has been a system that has had the biggest impact in your ability to scale that fast, but sustain it in a healthy place? What we found, having been military, everything is based off of standard operating procedures. So when you find a system that works, a process that works, document it. Even if you find one that doesn't work, document it, figure out where it fell apart and you can make your corrections along the way. But what we did to be able to scale was about the time we did our third or fourth deal, we realized, whoa, we're moving quicker than we ever anticipated. We're going to need some help. So we hired some virtual assistants. Part of the virtual assistants job, we gave them the information they needed to perform a task. And then we said, document it so that we're not taking the time to document it. They're documenting it. And the way that we could confirm that that was actually the correct process was we gave that SOP to somebody else or that standard operating procedure to somebody else and said, now perform that skill. And if they were able to perform the skill without coming back to ask anybody and it came out to the point that we were satisfied, then that's a good standard operating procedure and that's reproducible. So you can do that with assistance, with bringing on virtual assistants or even people in the state, you know, in person, you know, you want to build an office out, go for it. We knew being military you're going to you're going to pack up and move you're going to deploy last minute and nobody's going to be there to fill your shoes and nobody can fill your shoes like you but if you can leave something behind that they can just reference then they can act very similar to you and even if they can only get 70 or 80% of you done that's 70 or 80% of what you don't have to do now so it frees you up to go do some of the more high value items and that's another 
another thing that a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in the mud. They get stuck in the weeds doing the, the day-to-day tasks that they could easily pass off. If you're doing something over and over and over again every week or every day or whatever, why not be able to write an SOP for somebody else to handle it and then you can pass that off to someone. That's something that a lot of people will overlook. And I know a lot of people who have waited until they have the, the problems and are in the moment struggling with the systems and the efficiency. And of course, I think that there's growing pains with everything. That's the price of taking action, taking imperfect action. But I think it's also important to learn from people like you who you're sharing these systems and the importance of doing that. And it really, I think it's easier to document as you go, your systems and processes, like you're saying, rather than waiting until it's a problem that you're dealing with in the moment, putting out these fires. Once you have those systems in place, determine your your key performance indicators, your KPIs, so that you can verify that things are remaining in place and at the quality that you had set forth, because you're going to want to continue to that process, right? You want to continue to develop and you want to, you want to see what's working and what's not. And if you need to readjust your, your policy, then that's something you can do, but you can only do it if you're measuring, if you're verifying what, what you think is happening is actually happening. I'm glad you brought that up. I think KPIs are a great way to keep a pulse on your business in the moment and just monitor how things are going. And that way you can kind of be proactive with issues and trends that are you're seeing rather than reactive. Absolutely. The next factor I really wanted to consider was capital. I think that's something, there's two, two paths with this topic. And I want to briefly touch on both. There's your, your own personal capital and then and, and the, the capital that your business generates for you as the general partner and the investor. But there's also the capital that you raise from other people. There's a lot of different options you have when you're you know, making money in, as a general partner. How do you approach investing your own money into your business to make sure it has the greatest impact and return on investment? You know, number one, we're going to evaluate that deal to make sure that it's worthwhile before any, any money other than personnel costs are, are involved. Once we know that it's a deal we want to move forward with, that's easy. And we always put money into our own deals. Because I feel like it's unfair to ask an investor to bring money in if we if we're not willing to. In one of the deals, I will say that each of the general each of the main partners put in about one hundred twenty five thousand each um, for a total of about five hundred. There were four of us, so a total of about five hundred thousand in in the pot at the beginning. And if anybody wanted to take some of that money out at closing, all they had to do was let the team know so that we make sure that we raise that capital in the equity like we're not going to count that 120 full 125 let's say they just want to leave 50 in so we'll account for raising an extra seventy-five thousand. that at closing it can be credited as they paid for the legal fees or the lender application fee and they'll get credited back as uh, to their business with that 75k that they wanted back but we try to make sure that everybody on the team has money in the game money in the in the deal and we prefer that everybody has the minimum investment in there just so again comfort for the investors everybody's got the skin and we're sitting right there alongside with the investors our money is not making money unless your money's making money yeah that alignment of interest is so important and mm-hmm. i like to think of it as like you also have skin in the game too so yep. I, yeah that's awesome and the flip side of that and the other path i wanted to talk about is just briefly you know the passive investors a lot of people maybe have this misconception that they can't raise capital they don't know where to find passive investors so i just love to know i mean honestly where do you go to find these passive investors? How have you attracted them? Is it from a previous W two career that aligns with with who you are and your own personality, or are you doing sure. something else to source these investors? Your personal experience comes in handy. So if you have any real estate experience, then 
the people that you resonate with or resonate with you, if they find you trustworthy and, and knowledgeable and they'll, they'll feel comfortable coming in and investing with you. If you are a professional or you have some career field that you're in that you can talk to people on a, on a larger scale, they seem to, investors seem to feel more comfortable with somebody of their own. Because like myself, I talk about being military. Well, I haven't told you, I'm a nurse also. So I have, I have different areas that I can go speak with and and build that rapport with folks. And I have that, there's just a, a deeper level of connection because you've stomped some of the same ground, I guess I'll say. And then the last one would that I would say would be educational. So if you're able to provide education out there to people and they start to look at you as a, a leader in that in that field, then they might feel more comfortable. Uh, now, sure. the last factor I wanted to touch on before our speed round is the economy. I think a lot of people will use the economy and that factor as the main thing that keeps them out of doing real estate and keeps them on the sidelines because they're not sure what's going to happen. So that's kind of why I, I placed it in the last fifth spot. But I do think it's still important to acknowledge because it absolutely has an impact on your investments and the level of risk. So I'd love to know, first, just for context, what impact does the economy, and this is like a very broad question. So I just love it to give you your best shot. But what impact does the economy have on particularly the asset class you invest in? And if people who the widespread fear right now is that a recession is approaching. So how are you intending to navigate that if, if the market does take a downturn? As the interest rate goes up, inf inflation, all that good stuff, or bad stuff, if you really want to look at it that way, it does slow the rate of how you can build your rents, right? How you can grow your rents. It also will, the interest rates will impact how much you can afford to purchase based off of how the property is performing. But the cool part is that for the assets that we're buying, if the interest rates go up and the value of the property, quote unquote, gets to be less when that happens, that it's not worth as much or it's harder to buy it. It's just a matter of getting past the hump or over the, or through the, process just a little bit where the sellers realize that they aren't going to be able to make as much as they thought they would. If the value wasn't there, the the sales price, which is, is found by using the net operating income and you divide it by the cap rate. The cap rate is basically the market capitalization rate. And so that sales price is significantly affected by the cap rate. And that cap rate decompresses when the interest rate goes up. So does that number. So we're still able to buy similar product. We just buy it at a lower cost. And then when the cycle comes back around and the interest rates start to come down again, that cap rate is going to compress again. It's going to making your property worth more money, even though you may not have done anything to it, which, you know, when we walk in, we try to start our, our projects immediately, try to build that value right from the get-go. We closed on a property in March of 22 which is right as those interest rates started climbing. And we got right to work on some of the more impactful things. One of the key parts of the business plan is decrease expenses or increase rent, right? Increase revenue. So we immediately got settled in on water conservation. Well, I'm happy to say that that less than a month into it, we decreased our water usage down to 30% of what it used to be, a 70% decrease. That alone, was a huge impact in the overall because as those interest rates shot up so quick, our mortgage payments shot up very fast also because we were on a variable rate, but we were able to stay up with it with a mix of that decrease in expense. 
and the increase in the rent bumps we were able to achieve. On the single family side, those interest rates make a significant impact on people because it's one person in the home, if it's a rental, you have to absorb that cost. And on the single door, that's that's 100% your problem if it's empty. On large multifamily complexes, that property I was just talking about is 200 units. If we have 30 people either not paying rent or empty units total, we can still pay all the bills. That's the great part to having that scale that you were talking about. Yeah, that's a great way to bring it full circle, man. Warren Buffett says, when a lot of people are fearful, be uh, greedy. And when people are greedy, be fearful. I'm not saying you should just go out and buy anything, but I think it's important to always be looking and just be educating yourself because where fear is, you could also miss out on big opportunities. And there's a lot of people uh, saying that this would be the biggest transfer of wealth that we've seen in potentially our lifetimes. I know my short lifetime. So <laughs> it is time for our speed round. Chris, are you ready? Let's do it. Awesome. What is the number one failure or what we like to call learning lessons that you've encountered along your real estate journey? And what did you learn from that experience? I will say that our number one failure was thinking that the people that we were around were already vetted to be valid and good partners and good backgrounds to them and acting in with the same integrity that we have. We had a deal that went bad. No investor money was lost. But we just had a deal that, that the partnership itself, we tried to vet it as much as we could, but we didn't see some things. We should have listened to our int intuition along the way because there were some flags that when things really came out, we're like, oh man, we should have realized this a little ways back. So we're definitely much more careful now about who we partner with. And we also look at things a little deeper than we used to. What are your goals for the future in terms of your business? And what are you looking to accomplish long-term? So syndications, we have we have 290, almost 300 million in assets. And that was kind of our five to seven year plan. And it's only only took us two and a half years to make that happen. So now we're we're heading the five year plan at this point is 750 to a billion assets under management. And uh, we know that that's a big a big push, but we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do there. And our overall is to impact two generations deep into any family and every family that we're involved with. What's your favorite book that has had the biggest impact on your life and or business? I talked about Rocket Fuel, but the other one that I'll say that when I first read it, I was like, whatever. But it introduced concepts into my mind that I, at the time, I couldn't fathom really. And I'll be honest, it was the four-hour work week. And as I read that at different stages of where we're at, you get different things and you get further ideas. And right now I feel like we've implemented a good portion of those items. There's just one piece of advice you'd want someone in our audience to walk away with from today's episode. What would that be? Man, you just got to get started. Take action. There's no better training tool than experience. We knew we were at a meetup. I know you probably wanted this to be short and sweet. We were at a meetup and somebody talked about the fact that they've been studying syndications for five years. And we're like, great. How many properties do you have? He's like, no, 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 I, I haven't bought anything yet. We ha also had a conversation like six months before that. We had a conversation with somebody, husband and wife. They continued to do their regular job and just put in the extra money into investments. They 6X their net worth from 500,000 to three to three and a half million in the same five years. So just get started. The, the effects of compounding your investments is just, you can't beat it. And if that's the route that you even think you want to go, just dip your toe in if you have to, find a way and get started. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you or just follow you on your journey or access any and all of the resources you guys have to offer, where can they go to find out more? I'll send them to the website, up-plex.com, uplex.com, our name right there. 
with a hyphen between the two P's. So it's got a little dash between there and you can access our YouTube. You can see some of the properties we've had, reach out, book a call, just get on our email list. We have a newsletter and a blog that we put out. So everything's there at the site. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris. It was awesome chatting with you. And guys, thanks so much for tuning in today to the Real Estate Monopoly. Let's get out there and take action. Have a great rest of your day.